Welcome to Women in Science, etc. My name is Wendy Graves. Thank you for joining in on episode eight as we discuss creative, demanding clients. If you would like to get more information and engagement in our group, please visit our Facebook or LinkedIn page. Now let's get started with our next guest. All right, wise ladies, um, I want to thank you so much for joining in on this podcast. And today we have a great guest. We have Ma- uh, Maggie Harlow with Sinorama Downtown Louisville. And we are going to discuss creative demanding clients. But first, before we do that, we're going to learn about our guest and then we're going to dive right in. So, Maggie, welcome to the thank podcast. You. Thank you, Wendy. I'm really thrilled that you invited me to be here and very excited, very excited to do this with you. Thank you. So I want to just kind of start with, tell me about yourself, your family, your hobbies, things outside of signs. Okay. Uh, Well, my husband and I both grew up in Louisville. He was born here, um, but I came here when I was a little girl with my family's business. We've raised our two sons um, here in Louisville. Uh, We have a 23-year-old who lives in Atlanta now and a 20-year-old who lives here in Louisville in his own place. And um, we got into the sign business back in 2003 when I was working in the automotive business for my father's company and he was working in construction in his own company. And I, my dad wanted to retire, but I didn't want to buy the business. And so um, I told him to sell it. And then of course I was out of a job. So I was like, okay, well, what do I want to do? And after some, uh, I got another job, but not long after that, I realized, I think I want to own my own business. Mm-hmm. So we started looking at franchising and it was, um, so it was just kind of a natural fit for us. So we own a Sinorama franchise in um, kind of close to downtown in Louisville, Kentucky. I wanted to be downtown. I love downtown. I love kind of that urban. We take a lot of urban vacations. We love city living. Um, and um, so it's been an incredible fit. We, we love Louisville. Um, we're both um, active in the community and enjoy the company, enjoy the business itself and, and its demands. Uh, some days are better than others, but overall, we really love the day-to-day, you know, challenge and you challenge every day. And so what do you do outside of signs that just kind of helps you disconnect and remove from the day-to-day stresses? Yeah, I, I tend to need to like blow off steam with just physical activity. So I do a lot of gardening. I play tennis. I do a lot of yoga. In fact, I do yoga in the morning before I come in to kind of, I don't know if you ever wake up with that like racing brain when mm-hmm. you wake up and you just feel like you're shot out of a cannon, like, oh my God, I have so much to do today and I got to get all that done. And so I, I'm learning how to like do some yoga to just slow myself down a little bit and be in the moment before I come to work. Um, we love to travel um, and we love to um, hang out with family. Both our families are here in Louisville. So we do, we do have a lot of social time with family as well. Right. And then I think you've owned some other businesses as well. So it's just not um, the sign industry. So you've kind of had that uh, crossover into other business opportunities as well. Yes. I'm, I love to start things and create things. <laughs> I don't like to always maintain them, but I like to start them and create them. 
So yes, we owned a Yesco franchise for a while in partnership with another Sinorama here in town. We owned a Trans World franchise, which does business brokering and franchise sales. Um, and I have a little side business called Cliff Divers, which is a social experience, um, primarily around storytelling and interesting women that I meet. Um, and so, yes, I always have some other little endeavors in mind, but for the last few years, because my son in his life has changed, my son is becoming more and more famous as a performer and rapper. We want to be more available to travel and see him. So we've tried to cut back on some of those other endeavors and just really have the sign business so that we're freed up to, to go spend time watching him. Right. And I was not about to name drop that at all. So I, people listening to the podcast, they can maybe maybe put a name together and figure out who that is. Yes. If you're if you're a hip hop fan, um, Jack Harlow might be your taste. Uh, but if you're if you're not into that kind of language, I don't recommend it. <laughs> And it's still so interesting because obviously we're in the same city. And so while we don't see each other a lot, every time I hear his song, I think of you. And, and so it's just, it's interesting. But um, so, yeah. And so let's dive into just the Signorama in general, years in business, what your staff looks like, what you guys do and what your focus is. Yeah. Yeah. So um, 18 years in business now, we have about 21 employees uh, our business has primarily been built around corporate uh, clients because we're close to downtown. We tend to lean into that. That's what we get calls for. We don't get a lot of like monument sign type work or channel letter signs at strip malls. Very little of that. More corporate branding, uh, multiple location, um, ADA, interior room signage, wall wraps. Um, we work with a lot with architects and interior designers and, and different kinds of graphic designers um, on a lot of that work. So that's really the bulk of our work is that type of, um, you know, property development companies, that kind of thing who are looking for a new brand for their interior signage or something. So, um, and I, and I love that side of it. Um, we do a little, like every sign company, I think we do a lot of everything, you know, right. we do, you know, dabbles and, and all kinds of things. Um, and sometimes we get really, weird projects like every sign company gets mm -hmm. just you know customer wants something weird and you just figure out how to get it done um but that's probably the bulk of our business we have um a great general manager who is actually our very first hire it's amazing to me that he came in as a graphic designer and loved that production side i know that you know what i'm talking about wendy how you get a production person who's just like a nerd like they just yeah. love making things and figuring out how to make things and he's one of those guys so he worked for us for several years and then left and came back um, with his wife's career. They traveled a little bit, but they're back now. And now he's our general manager. So he's really helping us run the show. And then we have a project management team and a sales team. So um, they, you know, we have, um, I think it's uh, eight now on that team that help us kind of run projects and get things done. So it's a it's a it's quite a motley and interesting crew, but we probably today we have our most talented, cohesive team, like mm -hmm. people who really like each other and want to work together and they go to happy hours together and they enjoy each other. So it's kind of a fun time right now to work here just because everybody seems simpatico. <laughs> right. Well, and I think in just conversations that I have with um, independent and franchise stores, it's interesting that you say 18 years in and you've got the most cohesive team that you've probably ever had. And 
I think a lot of times beginning companies, that scares them to think it's gonna take them X amount of years. But just the reality is sometimes it does. And there's nothing wrong with having to rotate out team members that just don't fit. And I know we're going sideways a little bit from the main discussion, but that's just, I think, very important for people to understand because if I'm a new company and then I see you with 18 years, I'm thinking, oh, I need to be where you are, but you it's been 18 years with your team, you know, yes. and, and it can get discouraging when you can't find that team. So I thought it was important to kind of touch on that. I think it is important. And I think it's one of the things I had to let go of when I came in as a new owner is exactly what you're saying, Wendy. I think you hit the nail on the head for me. My experience was every failed employee, whether they quit or I fired them, felt like a failure of me. Yes. Like, what's wrong with me that I can't keep people? Or what's wrong with me that I can't make this employee work? Um, and I still have moments of that where, you know, we recently had some turnover over the last year with, you know, certainly COVID hasn't helped, but, um, you know, being patient and waiting for that right person and being willing to make that change has helped me get here. And I would guess in five years, I might look back and go, that team was was good, but this team is great, you know, um, but it is a, it's a striving. It's, it's a willingness to, you know, just year after year willing to strive you take a step back and then you take two steps forward and then you take a step back so I completely agree with you it can be very discouraging and I have moments of doubt but um overall I think you're right you just have to keep going and be willing to keep trying until you find that right person right and then with the makeup of your team that you have what is your primary role what do you do every day after you've had your morning yoga and you come in with a clear mind <laughs> I do want to say it's about 10 or 15 minutes of yoga. So don't get, don't, it's not like I'm some kind of yogi. Um, but, um, my primary role right now is really CEO and also sales manager. I do have an assistant sales manager who I'm, who I'm nurturing, growing into the role. She's really developing well so that I'm hoping in a couple of years, I really will be able to take more of a step back from that sales, but I love sales. So it's really hard for me to get out of get out of sales. So that's really my primary role is, um, is sales. My husband is CFO and we took us a while to kind of figure out that sandbox of like, that's your job. This is my job. Let's stay out of each other's way. So that at night we have pleasant conversations. Um, and I know you can relate. <laughs> you can relate to that, Wendy. Um, so yeah, I do love sales. So I, I tend to kind of center myself there. Right. All right. So let's, you brought up a great topic when we were first um, kind of talking about the podcast. And I was like, this is great because we all can kind of go into this tunnel of never ending time. And so I want to dive into the creative demand discussion. And I want you to just kind of break that down for our listeners, let them know what does that look like and what kind of clients are we talking about? Yeah. Okay. It's a big topic because creative can, can encapsulate a lot of different things. It might be a creative solution. You know, a client wants something, maybe they want a yard sign, you know, structure, but they want to be able to change it, or they want to be able to, you know, slide things in and out. Like there's just always someone who comes up with something interesting. I'm not really talking about that kind of creative, which I think we all do. And we all have to kind of learn how to roll with the punches on that. Mm -hmm. But when I talk about creative clients, I'm talking about clients who have a vision or you're working with a designer or architect and they have a vision 
but they maybe don't quite know how to pull it off. Mm-hmm. And those kinds of clients we tend to get a lot. And I think it's because we're willing to just dig in. Like we don't tell people you can't do that. You know, when they say, I want to do this, I, you know, we t- tend to go, hmm, help us talk more about that. So some of the techniques that we use with creative clients is first of all, if you're working with a client who has a lot of creative demands. So for example, they might say, I want it installed on a really unusual wall surface. You know, maybe it's a wall surface you've never installed on, or maybe it's a really tall wall surface, or maybe they want to print like a lot of a solid color and you know you're going to get digital banding and you're worried about that. So when clients come to you with creative demands, you have to meet their energy with demands of your own. So learning how not to just cave under that creative press that that push and that pressure and learn how to kind of think of it like if someone's leaning on you and you lean on them together you can kind of lift up but if you're just like crumple and they lean on you you're going to fall down so making sure that you're charging time appropriately for the creative demands that you're making sure that you're doing testing and and holding their feet to the fire on timeline so for example if you have to do an adhesion test or you have to go, well, I don't even know if you're going to like this color, you know, that you're, you're doing testing for them to look at. So you want to focus on that customer demand. What is the demand? Is it has to be a PMS match or it has to be installed by a certain date? Whatever those demands are, you have to figure out what is the equal pressure back. So if a client says to me, it has to be done by July 1st, I say, well, I have to have your approval on a sample by June 12th. Mm-hmm. And, and meet that energy and hold them accountable. Um, so that's one thing I would tell you is really get specific about the client demands and not just fold and, and, and really meet them where they are and match it. I, I tell my team, match the energy. The more demands they make, you just keep, okay, great. <laughs> it's going to cost you more or you're going to have to do something extra. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I would say with creative demanding clients, creatively challenging clients, don't be afraid to get additional help. So there are times that a customer may say, we want to design a new pylon sign for a shopping center. Mm-hmm. And I might think, you know, I've never, des- you know, I, my team, they know, maybe haven't designed something 30 feet tall. So how are they going to do that? Um, I don't hesitate to find a great designer that might be independent, who's done that kind of work. There's resources out there. And tell the client, sure, we can we can come up with some concepts. It's going to cost this much money. Right. We're going to produce this many concepts and and hire the help. And I'm not afraid to even say that we'll we'll do that. That we may bring somebody in to help because you're really looking at. Sometimes you'll need a specialist. You'll need someone in terms of design or even engineering. Um, mm-hmm. You may need engineering help for something. I'm not afraid to go out of, outside of my company and bring that professionalism in because then you have that peace of mind that you're, you're getting it right. You know, that right. you're getting it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing I would say is uh, making sure you're charging enough, you know, that, that doing something really unusual, doing something out of the ordinary takes a huge amount of risk. It takes time. It takes your staff's time to think about it, to spend time problem solving it. And what if it fails? <laughs> what if the first try doesn't work and you're ripping it all down and doing it again? Um, so when a customer asks you to step way out there out of your comfort zone and you can't find a resource that's necessarily gonna give you that turnkey solution and you have to almost invent something, mm-hmm. you really wanna make sure you're charging appropriately. I'm in the midst of a project like that right now 
where a client is wants to clad their building in these steel panels and they asked us to decorate the panels, which was no big deal, but now they want us to help install the panels. Mm -hmm. And I charged a premium because I'm, I'm not an expert installing steel panels and I'm going to have to become one. And so in order for me to spend the time to make sure that I'm doing it right, I have to charge adequately. So don't try to win that business cheaply ever. <laughs> Never try to win creatively challenging business on the cheap. Yes. Well, and I think two things that stood out that you mentioned is the one you just said, cheap. You know, I think a lot of times, like you said, if you're not pushing back with someone then you're potentially just going to be the cheapest for them. Like you said, you're going to win the bid and then you're going to lose, you know, in the long run. Um, and admitting that you need help outside of your comfort zone. I think sometimes in sign companies, people don't want, they want to act like they can do and say everything. So um, how do you a approach that that makes you sound professional and not um, able to, you know, take on the project. And then how do you get over that fear of losing that potential high dollar sale if you just cut some cost, you know, because a 10,000 job looks great, but what if it was really supposed to be a 20,000, but you were afraid to ask for it? So how can you give us some advice on that? That's, those are great questions. So um, let's say, for example, a developer contacts me and says, we're getting ready to do a new apartment complex and we need some new signage and we just need some new concepts for exterior lighted signage, but we want something really unusual. Like we want something really cool, whatever mm -hmm. they, they have in their vision. Um, when I, the first step I do is I'll send them images of what I think they're talking about. So I'll just Google, Google is my best friend in sales. <laughs> so I just Google things. So for example, let's say someone said, I want something that feels vintage, Las Vegas, but kind of, um, you know, maybe a little slouchy, like kind of, you know, seedy, but, uh, you know, cool. Okay. <laughs> so then I'll literally like Google those phrases into, and I'll just like look for signs or look for projects or apartment or whatever. Maybe it's a bar and I look for bar signage, mm -hmm. seedy, Vegas, vintage, and I'll just gather a ton of images and put them into a slide deck. And I'll say, let's before we get into design, before we get into really budgets or anything, I'm gonna show you a series of images and we're gonna talk about them. And did I miss the mark, right? So the first step is it might take me 20 minutes. So I'm gonna give them that time to really help kind of narrow them down. Mm -hmm. And then once I really get a sense of that style they're looking for, um, what I'll tell them is if I think it's beyond our, our natural kind of talent in our team, I'll offer it. I'll say, you know, you have, you have a couple options. Now I will tell you in sales, a secret is to give customers options. They love options. Mm -hmm. So instead of just trying to sell them this idea, I try to give them options. So I say, I can have my team make a stab at it and we can see how that goes. But I really do think I have a couple designers in mind who I love and I love their work. And I think they're a perfect fit for your vision. Mm -hmm. So, and that's true. Like I try to really cultivate relationships with designers and wayfinding experts and, and try to build those relationships. And that way the customer hears clearly what I'm saying. I can do the design. I can try, but I feel confident that really I know that perfect person. Now the customer feels heard and seen like, oh, you have someone you think really will get this. Yes, I have somebody. It might be more expensive to use them, but I think it'll get the better quality design faster. Mm -hmm. So 
Then of course, the next question is what would it cost? And so then again, I give them options. Like we can do it in house. And I think it would be about this for, you know two concepts or three concepts, or we can try these experts. It's gonna be more, it's gonna be something like this. Um, and then sometimes if they're very price conscious about that, I might say, well, if you make the purchase of that signage, I can, you know, we can use half of that toward the purchase, you know, right. I can give you credit on some of that. Mm -hmm. And that way they feel like, okay, so if I continue to work with you, if I, if I fall in love with an idea, then, um, then we'll go forward with it. So, so that's kind of how I pitch it is more that I think of it like, this is unique. You need something unique. This is not an everyday project that I just want to throw a designer at. I feel like you need something really special. And I think that that's true. And I think the client then feels special, like, oh, okay, I am special. Right. right. But like you said, laying that groundwork from the beginning of the conversation, it's key. It's going to set the tone. Yeah. Um, so now we transition, we have the client. And then you asked me about budget. So I just want to say yes, something sorry. about that real quick. Oh, that's okay. Let me just say something about budget. So I would suggest if you feel like you're going to bid a client and you're going to end up with this really big number. I try to talk budget ahead of time a little bit with the client. You know, are you wanting to spend 10,000? You want to be under 20,000? And sometimes those really candid conversations will reveal a lot. So anyway, go on, Wendy. Okay. Yeah. So now let's talk about, we have that client and you've kind of spent that initial time. And what does that look like from an owner's position? Who is in there with you when you're talking with this client? Is it a salesperson, a project manager? Let's talk about that. And then let's talk about what it then looks like to train the salesperson project manager. Right, great question. So sometimes we have a salesperson who might have helped generate that opportunity. So it might be an outside business development person who got the opportunity with that developer. I always have her in the call if she wants to be in the call and she likes to keep the relationship, even though she's not the project manager, she likes to keep the relationship. So she'll often just sort of be on the call or be on the meeting, um, quietly listening and paying attention, taking notes. Um, but I do always have another, a junior project manager or a senior project manager, depending on the size of the project, I have someone in the meeting with me. And we, I, I like to talk with them in advance of the meeting of my plan. So I'll walk them through what I just did. You know. I pitched this deck or I'm about to pitch this deck of images and here's what they said and this is what I've come up with. So they know the play and what, what, what the outcome is. I'm always trying to get a customer to go A or B. The goal of every meeting is like, are we going this way or are we going that way? And I let the customer really be the person making, those, making the call, what decision, what direction we're going. I like them to be in there after the meeting, one-on-one. -on -one. I like to talk with the project manager about how did it go? What did they decide? Did you hear them say this? So I try to point out the key takeaways that I was hearing with the customer and emphasizing with the customer. So they learn in that process. And so they learn by osmosis. And then as they're handling projects on their own that might be smaller, they can start bringing those techniques to life on their own. And I try to name them, you know, this is the takeaway or this is the, um, you know, whatever technique I'm using with the customer, I try to, you know, did you notice how I was, pressing them to either go A or B and not keep saying, well, I don't know, let's keep going and two options. I try to keep narrowing them down. Um, so I do try to teach them in the, in the moment and then we talk it over after. Okay. And are you a part of the closing as well? Or is that kind of once you've done some of the introduction and they've landed on their design, are you li still literally walking 
with them, with this particular client, just because they're kind of so hands-on. You know, it really is something I think you have to develop your own instinct about. Um, we had a client recently who we did design work for, paid design work, and I was not involved at all. I wasn't involved at all. And then they got to a point where they felt like they were getting stuck with the client. And so I started coming to the meetings and then we had a breakthrough. And then I just stayed on every meeting going forward because he connected more to me. We could feel that he was like, connecting to me. So they were like, we'd really like you to stay in the meeting. (laughs) But there are other times where they're copying me on emails. Maybe they're doing follow-up and they're saying, okay, you selected A, here's the next versions. What do you think? And I'm copied. And suddenly the customer's like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Here's, you know, where where do I pay a deposit? And then they're like, oh God. (laughs) So I'm always, I'm always like maybe copied to, to keep an eye on it, but I try to let them, I try to let them go on their own when they feel confident about it. Sometimes we'll arrange meetings and at the last minute I'll say, do you think you really need me in this meeting? And they'll say, I don't, I don't think you, I do. And so then I'll let them go on their own. But I, I do like to be in the background a little more as I can so that I can jump in if I need to. And I'm not, like if something goes wrong, I'm not associated with it. Right. I can, I can step in and, and be that second face of like, oh no, no, let, let me help get this back on track. Right. And so then from a project management salesperson, what does that look like for them managing a demanding client? Let's say it's maybe not a conceptual from the design, but it's just a demanding client in general. You know, what are the tips or how do you train your salespeople or project managers not to know when to cut it off, but when to, like you said, here's your options. Let's go this direction. You know, is there is there a feeling that the salespeople and project managers are learning from just constantly being with you? Or is it kind of something that you're like, hey, this is kind of what I expect and this is what you need to look for and it kind of guides them on their own? Um, maybe I'm not as methodical as I should be. Um, I, I think I'm, uh, I'm very instinctual. Like I let them rely on their instincts um, and when they feel I, I'm very open, like we, we talk every week, I have meetings with all of them every week. So we have an opportunity to sort of like, how is it going? What's going on? Do you need help with this? So if they feel like they're hitting a road bump, they can, they can say, well, I'm not sure. And I might just say, well, let's just make a call. Um, I, do, I do have to rely on them. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they're not aware that they've tune the customer out or, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, I do like to be copied on emails because I know I can read between the lines maybe when they can't. So I do like to be copied if it's a client that I've been involved with, they copy me and I can read the client replies and I can be a little bit like, Mm. bring them in and say, you see this reply, it makes me a little nervous. I want you to call them. As much as possible, I try to just show them how to do it, demonstrate it, and then encourage them to go try, even if they mess it up because you always have the backup. You always have like right. the owner can call and, and, and try to jump in. So um, yeah, I don't get copied on every email my sales and project managers. I'm like, because your emails would be crazy. No, no. it is. Um, and, and sometimes, especially with a new relationship with a client, let's say I know this is either a demanding client or a big client or an opportunity. Um, I'll, we set up a weekly call with the customer and, and I'm just listening, you know, they're, they're leading the customer through here's, 
here's what's going on with your project, here are the next steps, and I'm listening. Mm-hmm. And then when I feel like, okay, I've sat through three or four calls, they seem like they have this in hand, then I, I'll just stop appearing on the call. <laughs> right. Well, and that's another, um, I'm hearing all kinds of little second podcast conversations that we can have because I mean I'm new to you know signs as you know just a little bit about me and I know we would do fake calls and we would do client walk-in scenarios because if you don't feel comfortable doing it with your boss or another team member how are you ever going to have those conversations with clients, um, but it's just really encouraging to hear how you are leading the sales and the project managers, and in hope that anybody who is listening, they've got their pen and paper out that they can take some of these tricks, because it's not a, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a, it's not a, a um, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you need to say this. It is like you said, this is how I would do it or this is how you did great. And that's how the salespeople and um, project managers develop, um, whether it's demanding clients or regular clients. Yeah, and, you, and, and I have had the experience and I made the mistake of assuming like I can only handle this customer. Mm-hmm. And, and I, then you get sucked into never ending project management and yes. you're the one getting the text over the weekend and so I've learned how to I've learned by making them doing it wrong (laughs) you can't be the only contact you know even if even if I say I'm going to be the primary contact I always have a wingman Mm -hmm. who's on the emails and can answer the phone for the customer if they need it and that kind of a thing um but yeah I've done it wrong a lot so I've 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 learned. (laughs) And now you have lots of good advice. (laughs) And that's how we just catapult to, you know, the next part. Um, So in kind of closing for the uh, creative demand, what would you say? Okay, well, first of all, have you had to fire a very creative demanding client? Um, and, you know, what made you fire them? Um, was it you? Was it them? Kind of talk about what that looks like, because we know it's going to have to happen sometimes. Yeah. It has to happen. You have to be ready for that. And you have to kind of learn, learn with the signals. It, and every company is different, right? And so this is a great example. I used to have um, an outside business development person who had a very strong personality. And, and she, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but maybe just her psyche, she she wanted to crack the nut. Like she wanted the hardest customers and then she wanted to prove herself against them. Mm-hmm. Drove me crazy. I was like, why are you willing to try so hard for this customer? Mm-hmm. I just want to prove that I, I can I can win this guy over. Who cares? He's a jerk. Why do you want to win this guy over? Right. But, she, and she, but she was great. She was a great project manager. So she would end up, she sort of developed these big clients that were really, really difficult to work with. And she was really the only one who could work with them, which was fine with me. As long as you're not calling me into problem solving for you, or all I'm having to do is back you up now and then that's fine with me. Mm -hmm. And so eventually she ended up relocating. And so we, we lost her and I told her, we're going to have to, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to have to let these customers go. Mm -hmm. I, I literally couldn't handle these customers. So there was, there was one in particular and they were just, you know, it was always a really crazy, complex, creative thing. And we were never, our design was never quite right. And it was like revision, 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 revision it was never quite right. And they didn't want to pay for anything. They were cheap. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I mean, I didn't even try, honestly, I just told her, 
we're going to have to let that customer go. So we just did a phone call and I just said, you know, she's leaving the company. I'm really sorry. Um, it's been a real pleasure working with you, but I, I don't think we're, we're a good fit without her. I don't think we have. And of course, it's always about telling the customer, we're just not, we're just not the company that could handle you. You're, mm -hmm. You really are, you ask a lot and it's, it, you have a lot of demands and I think it's awesome. I can give you the names of some sign companies you could call that I think could do the work. We're just not suited for it. And, you know, I try to make it where it's not like I'm saying you're a jerk. I try to just be like, we're the jerk. We're just not capable of, of, of handling it, you know, without that project manager. So, but you do have to be ready to be fired sometimes. Sometimes they, sometimes they fire you and it's demoralizing. Um, but I also believe that the universe has better something in store for me. You know, if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. So both ways, learning to just let that customer go one way or the other is a, yeah. it's a little bit of an art. A hundred percent. And too, like you said, because it, it's just like with any relationship, friendships, all of you know, business is no different. It's not um, always going to work out, but it's painful sometimes on either side. You just have to shake it off and be prepared to move on with dignity either way, I suppose. That's right. Well, so we're going to wrap up our creative demand conversation. I know we've learned so much. Um, I just, like I said, there were so many extra things that popped up in the conversation. I could we're going to get uh, Maggie scheduled for another podcast down the, down the uh, line. So now we're going to have some, what I call some fun time with okay. rapid fire questions. And All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. You're going to, we'll be able to use some of these things against you in the future. <laughs> so if, I mean, and it's kind of challenging because you've mentioned several other businesses, but if you didn't have a sign company, what would you have started? I think I would have started maybe um, public speaking. I do love public speaking. So I would have loved to be a professional speaker. I know that usually requires travel. So that's kind of a, not the something I would love, but now my kids are grown. So maybe if I could start over and my kids aren't home, maybe um, a professional speaker or be a part of a speaker's bureau or something like that. I'd love to write books. Um, anything like that would be really fun for me. I love ideas. Right. Well, and um, it, it, like you were like an entrepreneur by spirit, like you said, you like to develop things. And so it kind of falls right into that as well. So exactly. <laughs> so now what would you be terrible at? Like, what would you fall on your face if you think that's what you had to do every day? Um, I, I'm forgetful and I'm bad with math. Um, which is challenging. That's why I try not like, to business and signs. <laughs> I try to not write quotes very much, or if I do write them, I try to have other people edit them and make sure that I'm getting it right. Um, so I, I sometimes have nightmares about like, what if I was a doctor and I had to know how much medicine someone needed, or like, I just have this, and like, I doctors seem like superhuman to me because they you know, they deal with people and then they have to like really be specific. They have to know exactly how much medicine you need or how many stitches or how deep to cut and all of that kind of thing. It really just sounds like a total nightmare to me. Like, I, I love the idea of being a surgeon. I love like bored, but I, I don't think I'd be, I don't think you, I, you'd want me to operate on you. Okay. 
So we will not be finding you in a white coat in the next term of the career. Definitely not. Um, and then share one of the most adventurous things that you've done. So my, uh, my husband and I got married and I was, like I've told you, I was working for my father and he was working for his father at the time. Um, and we'd been married maybe a year and we were, it felt like, I was like, so is this, is this it? Like I'm married him and we're in these jobs. Like I was feeling cemented in place, you know, like I've made these final decisions. And uh, I remember we were just in bed one night reading, getting ready to go to sleep. And I said, you know, we should move. And he's like, what? And I was like, we should just move. We should just move somewhere. And he said, where? And I was like, anywhere, anywhere. Let's just, so we literally decided to move. And then we started thinking about where we had gone on our honeymoon because we had done like a West trip out West in the car. So we were like picking the cities that were our favorites to visit. And then we literally flipped the coin until we finalized a city. And we ended up moving to New Mexico um, and Albuquerque. And really? we just literally like picked up everything we owned and rented our house and we put it all in a truck and we drove out there and I uh, got terrible jobs. Like just, you know, <laughs> I was answering phones and he was working in like an office and, um, but it was great. We just got away from our families and we got time together and we were only gone for a year because his dad got sick. So we came home, but I kept a book like a diary. And I mean, it was an amazing experience um, to just go out there and be just the two of us together. Right. Well, and yeah, that's super adventurous because I don't know, I would be so afraid to just pick up and move, you know, what if you hated it? But, you know, like you said, you can go back. There's nothing wrong with it. So that's right. That's right. That's fun. Well, and now that no kids at home, now you all can flip a coin and go to all kinds of different cities. That's right. Who knows where you'll find me, Wendy? Who knows? <laughs> I'm sure we'll find you at work at some point. Yes. <laughs> True. Well, I'd like to thank you so much for being a part of the Women in Signs, etc. podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so proud that you got this started and it's so cool. And I'm going to be sending you names of, of people I think you should have on. Yes, absolutely. That's what I ask for all of my guests because uh, whether we're sign women or we fall underneath the etc. I just think we all have a story to tell and um, that's what we're here for, you know, help the next person. So I want to thank you for sharing that today. And um, just everyone look out for the bi-weekly, bi excuse me, podcast. So thank you again, Maggie. I so much appreciate it. Thank you, Wendy. It was great fun. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.